All right, welcome to Bet the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher here with Drew Dinsick. We're recording late on Sunday night. Bills Chiefs has just ended. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the other divisional round matchups, the openers for the conference title games next week, and then close out with uh, a little Australian Open. There's uh, Svitolina. Uh, looks like she might be done, Drew. Uh, yeah. Down to nothing medical timeout. Not good. We'll close out with that and then uh, some of your NBA. But let's talk about start with Bill's Chiefs, uh, given that it is so fresh in the memory. Certainly the biggest non-Super Bowl event game that I can remember just in terms of just how it was capturing the zeitgeist in real time, Allen v. Mahomes, Brady v. Manning-esque, uh, and then lives up to the billing um, in terms of quality for three quarters and then drama for all four. <laughs> Uh, I don't really know what happens towards the end, but uh, what did you make of it and how was your weekend? Yeah, it was a great weekend. Uh, sides were three and one for me, so I'm pretty pretty stoked to get those home and it's better to be lucky than good. <laughs> I felt pretty lucky to get Lions home uh, considering it came down to that two-point conversion attempt uh, for them covering six and a half. Uh, I guess people probably had six that would have pushed, but uh, still is... Uh, uh, you know, it, it was uh, sweatier than it had to be. Uh, and yeah, I mean, Packers got to be sick to their stomachs that they didn't find a way to win that one. The cover was delightful. Uh, Houston felt pretty happy to be there in the second half, not really putting much of an effort on, on uh, uh, you know, for, for uh, offense, but that's okay. Uh, but yes, uh, the finale of the weekend was the one that really did draw the most attention. And uh, it was, it was compelling <laughs> that was as good as you could write them uh i thought wide right was a little on the nose for bills fans to try to <laughs> rationalize considering uh the history of sports in that city but uh ultimately um uh, mcdermott was kind of the um biggest problem for the bills in terms of number one deciding to go for the fake punt when he went for it instead of just putting the ball in the hands of a guy who's having one of his best performances as a pro and josh allen to that point in the game i think if you're going to go for it and you have one of the two best quarterbacks on earth you should just put it in his hands to try to get it um and uh ultimately got bailed out with the fumble in the end zone why andy reed decided he needed to see another touch from mccall hardman inside of the uh the red zone was kind of a head scratcher and what do you know? He fumbled again. Um, and uh, yeah, that was a pretty indefensible call that I still don't understand. Uh, the Chiefs really tried to give the Bills lots of latitude, lots of opportunities to come back. And ultimately, uh, I think they came up short because for whatever it was worth, Josh Allen was not sharp on that final drive, particularly once they crossed midfield. I don't know if he got hit. Uh, you know, something happened to his shoulder where he was a little bit uh, kind of lacking in accuracy. But uh, some of those balls he was throwing to the end zone, uh, he, you know, he had easy stuff that was right there for the taking that could have continued to matriculate the ball. Instead, uh, they uh, they have a couple of, of uh, clear misses uh, and uh, attempt a longer than necessary field goal in the swirling winds. Uh, and the rest is history. So um, rough way for the Bills season to end, uh, considering how far they came from, you know, the depths of six and six to, uh, you know, having decent money line edge in, you know, in running in this game um, and looking unstoppable on offense against the Chiefs defense that uh, we knew had cracks in the run game and looked even worse without uh, Nadi on the field. So uh, it was uh, a little bit shocking that, uh 
the Chiefs found a way to win here. It felt like they scored every single time they touched the ball outside of the fumble through the end zone. Um, and, uh, you know, really the Bills did a nice job of sort of playing keep away and, and hiding their defense, I thought. Uh, but ultimately, in the end, it wasn't going to be enough. Uh, you're going to have to score more than 24 points to beat Pat Mahomes. I thought we knew this, guys. Uh, and so... Uh, here we go with uh, you know two really compelling handicaps for the uh, championship game weekend. Indeed. Yeah, on the fake punts, I think I'm in the minority, but I actually don't have an issue with it given that Kansas City had 10 guys on the field. And so the Bills are effectively you know, at the line. They have seven guys blocking six. I think it is what it is. It's just they didn't block it well. Like, they didn't execute the play well. Uh, and I get that. I don't know why people take such weird glee in DeMar Hamlin failing. Like, <laughs> I came back from the dead. Like, why are we so happy that his play didn't work out well? Because if you bet on other players to win comeback player of the year, like, that award has been voted on. It's done. We don't need to celebrate the miscues of DeMar Hamlin. It's very kind of disturbing. But uh, I agree. It was very uneven from the Bills late. I think... What became clear is that they just they lost too many guys on defense, and it was even the guys that are out there. Like Rasul Douglas wasn't remotely himself. Like that guy was borderline all pro, and he's getting targeted over and over again. He just didn't have it physically. Terrell Dodson's not mm -hmm. himself. Um, they're like AJ Klein came out of the game, and it's like, oh my god, AJ Klein's out. He <laughs> wasn't in the NFL like two weeks ago, uh, and I think ultimately. If the Bills had won this game, and it feels weird just because kind of the experience of watching the game in the first half, like it felt like the Bills were dominating, but it only felt like that because they were on the field for longer and they were gashing the Chiefs in the run game. But then you take a step back and at the end of the game, like the Chiefs averaged 7.7 .7 yards per play and the Bills averaged 4.7. Uh, and the Bills got turnover luck with the fumble going out of the end zone. And then Bud Josh Allen fumbling, in what in real time felt like it was minus 950 that the Chiefs were going to recover given they mm -hmm. so outnumbered the Bills around the ball. Uh, and it just felt like the lack of a vertical threat for the Bills and their injuries on defense that they would have had to have stolen it, but they really should have stolen it. Uh, at the end, I will go to my grave not, want, not knowing why Josh Allen didn't just hit Stefan Diggs wide open on the cross or on second down there at the death to get the first down. Instead, he gets greedy and goes for the home run shot in the end zone, which, and this is the thing with Allen, and this is why he's, I still think he's clearly the second best quarterback in the NFL. Like, I think he's better than Lamar Jackson. I think he's better than Joe Burrow. But I think Mahomes probably makes the right play there in that I think it's, I don't know, you probably look at the win probability stuff, but to me in the moment, I thought that a first down there was probably even more valuable than scoring a touchdown with a minute 45 and Mahomes having two timeouts. Yeah. Uh, and so a bit of a mess. And then, yes, very on the nose with wide right. Anything else on Bill's Chiefs or do you want to hit the other game? Uh, I mean, the injuries for the Chiefs moving forward that you have to pay attention to largely on the defensive side of the football. Um, and uh, considering how weak their rush defense looked, I think uh, <coughs> drawing the Ravens is uh, an unfortunate, uh, <laughs> an unfortunate uh, uh, matchup for that unit. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, we, we really haven't mentioned Mahomes and like he was pretty superlative, like he didn't make any mistakes. He scrambled when he needed to. That was pretty, uh, you know, pretty, pretty um, impactful in the game. It felt like uh, Isaiah Pacheco ran hard. Uh, Travis Kelsey haven't heard and spoken his name quite as often as you would have guest on a team that's running again to an AFC championship but uh you know he had some 
you know, beautiful mismatches in the game against the Bills. So, yeah, I mean, you know, congratulations to the Chiefs and Mahomes for another, uh, you know, AFC Championship game appearance, six in a row now, although this one on the road. Um, and, uh, you know, it didn't really feel like... Uh, yeah, it feel like they felt like they got the Bills' absolute best shot for three quarters of this game, and uh, uh, and still they could have won with margin. So uh, it's tough to beat that team. Yep, they were the better team. I think the most interesting thing that come out of it is just that this Chiefs offense, after looking so middling, even though statistically it was fine and you know top ten offense and right towards the bottom of the top ten, but the past two weeks they've just looked so more explosive. Like they absolutely shredded Miami. They could have scored forty there in the ice bowl. Uh, and if Hardman doesn't fumble, they get to thirty four today. Uh, and it just and it doesn't. It's like not like the personnel has changed. Like Rasheed Rice was really banged up this game. They didn't get much out of him, and it was just it was MVS. And I think this these two games, albeit against defenses suspect in their own right, given Miami had no pass rushes left, the Bills are really banged up. But certainly does give credence to the idea that Mahomes does actually have a you know a verifiable next level that he gets to uh, in the playoffs, and we'll get. The ultimate test of that, given that he gets to play uh, probably the best defense in football in Baltimore. Let's go to that game quickly. Uh, someone who was uh, pretty heavily on Baltimore in the end, um, given what was out there in the market. Uh, people can read between the lines on that. But uh, <laughs> I didn't feel very good about it when it was 10 all and uh, Fairbairn was lining up to make it 13 uh, 10. But after that, uh, I wonder how the game would have broken if Jalen Petrie had picked off Lamar in the end zone um, to start the second half, which would have made it a completely different game. But ultimately, um, the Ravens run away with it. Uh, did I think the the takeaway coming out of that game is just like, oh, Baltimore's the best team in football. Like, I don't, they looked shaky. They were very, very good, um, but they looked shaky at times to me. I, I still think that every time I watch them, I have no idea how to rate this team, man. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh I will say that their offense showed some wrinkles that were um different than what we saw from a lot of the regular season, which is kind of interesting because if they had like, hey, we know we have some high leverage stuff with Lamar runs, we should just keep that in our back pocket for the playoffs. Like that's scary <laughs> because he is certainly uh still as athletic and as dynamic on the ground as he ever was at any point in his NFL or college career. And uh it's something to behold. I mean, he was ten almost ten yards a clip on the ground in this game with two two rushing touchdowns, and it felt like, you know, in particular in the second half when they uh needed to sustain uh, you know, those uh those two first you know, those those two touchdown drives. <clears throat> and you're right, you know, if the, if there's a turnover, uh that definitely tilts things in a different direction for the uh uh, the Texans, but uh, you know, I mean, Lamar kind of pushed the uh, the buttons he needed to every time it uh, you know it mattered, and uh, it really just felt like the Texans' offense was not uh, dealing with the same circumstances. Like they, they were not uh, dealing with it. Like that was an elimination game, which felt bizarre. Like the lot of wasted downs by uh, Slowick and company, who were want to do that all all season this year. So um, yeah, a little bit a uh, little bit of a uh, frustrating uh, outcome at the end for anyone with points in the Texans, but. Um, and you know, I guess you got to upgrade the Ravens a bit. They come out of this game pretty healthy. Um, you know, this is a, a team that, uh, I think you would circle the Mark Andrews news this week and find out if he's going to be available because he could be, uh, you know, a huge impact at least if not for the game itself, you know, what the market and the lines are, you know, if he's, if he's, uh, 
you know, going to go, then I would expect you to see a little bit of a bump in the market on the Ravens. So um, worth keeping an eye on. Um, Marlon Humphrey, same situation. It was pretty clearly telegraphed he wasn't going to play last week. And now, uh, you know, another week of rest, maybe he's a, it's a different story there. So I would pay attention to those two injuries, certainly uh, this week, because they matter. Um, but otherwise, you know, <laughs> the Texans, I felt like left a lot on the table. Uh, and really could have hurt the Ravens in certain parts of the field with a little bit more of an aggressive game plan, and they just elected not to, which was frustrating. Yeah, and I just, like Stroud statistically, like it looks pretty bad, and it looks really bad. I mean, they scored three points on offense because they get the Sims 67 punt return gift, but uh, it felt like they were able to move the ball, and Stroud I thought was really good, and there was just some almost moments, like he could have hit... Robert Woods streaking down the right sideline just before half, which could have easily been a touchdown. It's just like it's a little bit overthrown. And there were just these moments where uh, it just didn't quite happen. And then the result was that Baltimore just capitalized every time. Uh, And the one moment where it really could have flipped was Petrie dropping the interception in the end zone. Um, and, And that was... That was effectively the game. We'll talk about the Ravens in a second when we talk about the uh, AFC title openers. But let's go to the other game on Saturday, which was – it's funny. We kind of had two somewhat regulation games in Tampa Bay, Detroit, Houston, Baltimore, and then two just completely insane (laughs) games, the other two. And this one I think was kind of more insane than Buffalo, Kansas City, uh, just because of the – just the the upset magnitude kind of potential everything that was happening and this Kyle Shanahan's legacy and Brock Purdy completely imploding for three quarters. Uh, Purdy had like the inverse Josh Allen game where Allen was magnificent for three quarters then kind of shaky for the last. Purdy was extremely shaky. He's terrible for three quarters, three and a half quarters, and then was just lights out on that last drive, made every throw that he needed to. The only incompletion was just a blatant drop from George Kittle. Now, I think most people have come out of that game thinking like, oh, this team is really fragile. I'm not sure that they're going to beat Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson. I go the other way, and I think that uh, the league missed its chance to really kill off San Francisco. And my thought on Purdy is that, look, I think Purdy is the ninth, 10th best quarterback in the NFL, uh, and I think that he has a real issue with rain given that his two worst performances um, outside of the Baltimore game were against Cleveland and Green Bay in rain, where it's just it seemed very clear he just couldn't grip the ball. He's Obviously, there's the viral thing of him wiping off his hands mid-drop back. Uh, and I think that it was re- it's really those two games and then the Baltimore game where I think confusing defense uh, and a big occasion just kind of rattled him and it snowballed. Um, and I think that he's going to be fine because he plays – uh, a pretty mediocre Detroit pass defense at home in 70 degrees and dry conditions. And then he's going to get to play in a dome in the Super Bowl. So I, I'd i be more concerned about San Francisco's defense out of that game than uh, Purdy and their offense. But what's your read on the Niners now? Yeah, no, the the league missed their chance to kill the Niners. I 100% agree with you. The Packers were something like 80-85% win probability when they had first and 10 on the Niners, 24-yard uh, line with a four-point lead in the fourth quarter. Um, they put points on the board, either field goal or touchdown on that, especially touchdown on that drive, and, you know, 
the the discourse around Purdy would have been like just so impossibly gross. I would have just it would, it would have been with that that would be the leading every kind of uh, you know kind of commentary uh, in the, the in the you know it, for this week and then in the offseason talking about the Niners and what are they going to do? Uh, the fact that he put together one good drive and that was uh, all they needed to get uh, you know the game winning points. I, you know it's cool. Like good, good on him. Uh, way to, to kind of rescue what was otherwise uh, just like a truly horrific performance. Um, if I'm a nine, if I'm a Packers defender, man, I am losing sleep for a long time about how uh, many opportunities they had to really seal this one, and they let it slip through their fingers. Um, the interceptions by Love obviously weren't ideal in the second half, but uh, the the defense really, really had some chances to end this, and they did not. Uh, they let him hang around. Uh, and ultimately, the uh, the twelve place sixty nine yard drive. Um, people are calling it Joe Montana esque. Jay, <laughs> boy, Lombardi, King, California. Woo. Um, but no, it's like yeah, he had one clean drive. He made some you know beautiful plays on that drive. Uh, they seal it with the McCaffrey touchdown. Like that's what you want. You want your team to kind of pick you up when your quarterback's having an off day, and the Niners as a team did that. It was very impressive. So um, I, my confidence isn't really shaken in terms of getting involved with them against the Lions. I'll be honest. Yep. Uh, well, we'll talk a little bit about the Lions game against Tampa in the context of that. Uh, opener for the NFC title game. But for now, it's another Big Ten basketball doubleheader on Tuesday night. Nebraska tips things off at 6.30 p.m. Eastern when they host Ohio State. Then second-ranked Purdue takes on Michigan in the nightcap at 9 p.m. Check out both matchups exclusively on Peacock. All right, Lions, Niners. I think most spots had opened seven and then was beaten down pretty quickly to six and a half. I think the Lions were super impressive uh, today, uh, given we're recording Sunday, uh, against the Bucks. And I think it's a little bit concerning the ease with which Mayfield moved the ball down the field. And it was really the two interceptions that, that cost them the game. Uh, now, on the other side, you could say that, well, it was kind of a, a bad matchup for Detroit in some ways, given that the Bucks have this awesome run defense and Detroit want to run the ball. And now they're going to go up against a Niners team that doesn't have a good run defense uh, at all uh, and looks pretty shaky uh, on D, given that they're two real big tests. They got lit up by the Ravens and then they got lit up by the Packers. Um, at the same time, we kind of hoped that this line would open would be six and a half and and here it is uh you're still confident in the Niners yeah um I mean the uh the the key injury to follow is Debo Samuel uh he matters for this contest a small amount I mean this could be an IU game I would be not surprised at all you saw what Mike Evans just did to this defense uh if you have an elite wide receiver one he's gonna hurt the Lions defense period end of story and so it's coming um I think the um Lions, we have seen them play a lot of high leverage games against some bad teams recently uh, and at home. Uh, and I guess uh, my, my, my one takeaway of Lions Bucks was, uh, you know, we, we, we can send a note to Sean McVay. It is possible to convert a fourth and 14 against this Lions defense yes. um, because Baker Mayfield and the Bucks did it. Uh, and uh, honestly, it was uh, it, it, the key handicapping point for me for the Lions and the Bucks was the uh, golf was going to be able to handle the blitz and he did it well 
Uh, and I think now you're up against a more complete defense. I think the running attack for the Lions is going to have a tougher time against this, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the good, the big bodies on the D line for, um, you know, for the Niners are for real. Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw are for real. Like this is going to be a much, much tougher test for them to have, uh, you know, kind of a consistent and efficient offense. And I think uh, there's definitely scope here for, um, you know, there's scope here for both of these teams to score points. But uh, I've been kind of licking my chops at what Shanahan's got cooked up for uh, a Lions defense that's just uh, pretty de- devoid of like game breaking coverage talent in the secondary. Yep. I mean, there's just nothing there in the back end in terms of their corners. Like Sutton is, it's just been kind of revealed at this point. And the ease with which Baker was able to move the ball, I mean, outside of the turnovers, which were bad, um, I, Baker was, I thought, super impressive today. Uh, and you would suspect that the Niners uh, are going to be even more so. And also, I mean, to your point, like we haven't seen Jared go off outdoors in these playoffs yet we haven't seen him on the road in these playoffs and i think it's going to be a little bit of a different animal i just don't think the defense just has any real ceiling um so yeah i agree i would expect that i would guess that this closes um seven but we will see chiefs ravens uh it opened ravens three and a half quickly got beaten down and now it looks like it's going to settle at ravens minus three for now total is 45 and a half. Uh, do you think this is the right line? Hmm. I was surprised that some of them shops taking some bigger limits offshore gave you a swing at three and a half for the Chiefs at a not too crazy big. Um, 120 now, that's starting to get to the price point where people are going to pass. And like you said, it's more like a flat three or closer to a flat three. Um, and, uh, you know, in the immediate aftermath of the Chiefs, Bill's game, I was like, man, shoot, sign me up. Let's go back to the well. Pat Mahomes a dog. <laughs> what are we doing here, folks? Like, this should be closer to a pick em. Uh, He certainly has a heck of a lot more experience. The Chiefs as a team have a lot more experience in this type of setting. Uh, and so if you want to bet on just the idea of the Chiefs offense being the distinguishing unit here and being able to solve the Ravens defense, which many teams have solved this season, then uh, I think your bet is pretty straightforward on the Chiefs. If you are concerned about the Chiefs defense and their propensity for giving up uh, game breaking plays on the ground, which I am now uh, considering how uh, week they were today against the Bills, then uh, this is not great uh, to go on the road against a Ravens team that has such a dynamic rushing attack uh, and could be kind of fully healthy for the first time really in a long time. So um, pretty uh, pretty tough matchup here for uh, the Chiefs defense all of a sudden, which means it really is going to come down to, to Mahomes being you know Superman, putting on his cape and uh, finding a way to get to 31 points against the Ravens defense to have a chance in this one. Uh, total looks too low to me. Um, 44 and a half is about four points under what I would have expected. Uh, and, uh, ultimately I think you could see a similar game state to what just materialized in Buffalo. Yep. Looks like there is light rain forecast for Sunday in Baltimore at the moment, though nothing crazy 10 mile per hour winds. So shouldn't be a huge factor. I think the, it's just very difficult to grapple with what Kansas city's offense has shown the past two weeks relative to the entire rest of the season basically post week seven or whenever they destroyed the charges in that maybe the Dolphins just having no pass rushes whatsoever and just having to just blitz relentlessly and cover zero relentlessly um, that maybe that just made them not viable and maybe the Bills were just so banged up that their defense just wasn't viable at all and now the Chiefs are just going to go 
and look like the unit that played like the Raiders and like, couldn't score like very recently as well. It wasn't that Christmas, the day after Christmas. Um, and whether that's just going to resurface against Baltimore. And then on the other side, you have uh, the best rushing attack in football against what has all season been a really weak rushing defense and was very weak against Buffalo as well. So I don't think matchup-wise it's perhaps amazing for Kansas City, but you know there is there's just always the sneaking suspicion that perhaps the Ravens aren't that good uh, and perhaps Patrick Mahomes is really, really good. So I think yeah. three. Um, I mean, three makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I think this is one of the games where regardless of where you stake your side, you, you're going to be angry with yourself midday Sunday. <laughs> Right? It was like, man, Pat Mahomes is a dog. How did I let that slip through my fingers? Oh, yeah, the Ravens are a juggernaut. How did I not see this coming? It's been evidence week after week after week after week for a month now. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, there's a case to be made for either side, particularly at three. I think at three and a half, it's pretty obvious you're, you know, you're, uh, you're trying to find ways into a Chiefs bet. Um, yep. And uh, we may get a flat three and a half again this week if there's positive news on Humphrey and, and Andrews. Yep, no, that's that's true. Yeah, personal positions aside, what the matchup to me that is by far the most compelling and what I want to see is San Francisco Baltimore again because I want to see Birdie in the dome <laughs> uh, confronting those demons. I just think that would be magnificent theater. No question. Uh, no question. Speaking anything, of- anything but Lions Ravens. Yeah, I don't have any interest in that. Uh, I will watch that game. I will certainly watch that Super Bowl. I'll watch that game. But, uh, I'll watch but, that uh, game. that's not – yeah. I mean, it would be interesting, but I think uh, I think we know how that ends for Jared Goff uh, the same way that it ended for Brock Purdy on Christmas night. All right. Well, speaking of great theater, Ohio State is looking to keep pace with the front runners in the Big Ten women's basketball standings, and they'll have a chance to do so on Thursday when they face Illinois, watch the Buckeyes and fighting – Line I have never actually said that word out loud. Showdown at 6:30 p.m. Eastern, exclusively on Peacock. All right, uh, Australian Open. A uh, little reset on this. There's been some just constant chaos on yeah. the women's side. Uh, it's hard to know even what planet we're on anymore. Um, <laughs> men's side a little bit more. Chalky, Djokovic got himself right with a bit more of a regulation victory. Yannick Sinner is coming. Uh, what is, what's your breakdown uh, of this overall? Yeah, I mean, the women's side is uh, we're set up for a collision course, likely in the semifinals between um, the U.S. Open finalists, Sabalenka and Coco Goff. Uh, I don't think realistically there's another upset to be had on the bottom half of the draw, but who knows? This has been a crazy <laughs> fortnight already. Um, the uh, top half of the draw is Zheng Xinwen's Toulouse. Uh, our queen is almost ready to be crowned, make her first ever slam final, I hope. Um, you've got uh, Noskova and Yastrzemska through on the first quarter. That is the most unlikely first quarter matchup I could have wrapped my brain around. Not that Noskova, I didn't know she had this ceiling. I did not know Yastrzemska was going to be able to uh, fight her way to this part of the uh, uh, of the stage. And I certainly did not think that uh, you know players like Ostapenko and <laughs> Von Drusova and Iga uh, would all kind of fall 
we're back in LA. Yeah, we have a lot of women who uh, have crashed out of the top half of the draw. So this went from being a uh, an imbalanced draw at the start where all the good players were at the top and now all those players have lost. And so the imbalance <laughs> is on the bottom, which is which is uh, an absolute uh, my, you know, mind pretzel. Um, <clears throat> I think pricing is fair where you basically are looking at uh, co-favorites between Goff and Sabalenka. Uh, I would slightly lean Goff just because, number one, the head-to-head uh, you know, results for her are positive particularly recently at the U.S. Open, and Sabalenka still does have semifinal demons that she needs to truly conquer to prove that she's, uh, you know, she's she's got the, uh, um, you know, her her A-game at that stage for whatever it's worth. Uh, Zhang is an interesting case because I've always thought she's has the potential to win a slam. I didn't think it was coming this week uh, and this early, really. Um, and she's going to have a lot of support. Uh, she's obviously, you know, a lot of, lot of Chinese fans in uh, Australia for this, so... Um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, to ride out some, some Zhang Shenwen. Uh, I like her price in the nine to one range if you can find it. Um, and, uh, ultimately I think, uh, uh, she's going to be able to give a test to whoever emerges from that war at the semifinals between Sabalenka and Coco. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've always been an admirer of Zheng's work. Certainly seems like she has, you know, the, uh, wealth of talent um it just hasn't really put it all together and she's a little shaky in her last uh her last outing um but i mean i think she's the most talented player in that half of the draw now though i suspect that you know as we're recording she's still got an extra match to play relative to noskova so i think that noskova is probably just the most likely player to get through just given that she is uh a match ahead at the moment and really should handle uh Anything on the men's side? Not much has really changed, I guess. Yeah, we're still waiting for the tournament to start. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, uh, I, I have Sinner in pocket. I've liked what I've seen from him so far. He's coming through unscathed. He's not taking any damage. Uh, Djokovic finding some form last round against Manorino was a little... You know, arr, I wish they had wish a little bit more damage had happened in the earlier rounds, uh, but not to be. So, uh, yeah, his sitter's going to have to do it himself. He's going to have to take out Djokovic. I think he can. I like the way sitter's playing just in general. Uh, and uh, I worry, maybe, if anything, like, does he have a letdown in the final if that's your semifinal and he wins? So, um, you know, a lot still to be decided. Um, <clears throat> I haven't really seen a ton of Alcaraz because he hasn't been in very many compelling matches. Mm. Um, and just looking at his numbers, he looks like he's playing great and he's probably going to win his quarter. Um, he's got, uh, you know, Kekmanovic tonight and then uh, takes on the winner of Zverev Nori, which I'm assuming will be Zverev. Uh, and I think the world will be cheering for Alcaraz against the uh, the supervillain uh, Sasha Zverev in that uh, quarterfinal. Uh, Medvedev looks likely to come through pretty cleanly in the third quarter right now. So, I mean, realistically, we could still end up with your top four seeds as your final four. And I don't think anyone would be surprised. Uh, and I think ultimately there's not a bet to be had now if you don't already have uh, some center in pocket. Actually, pr- prices are probably still about the same <laughs> as what I bet at preflop because, again, nothing has happened to really change, uh, move the needle that much. Actually, it, look, it looks like he, he, ha- he has come in a little bit. People He's about plus 350. Believe. Yeah. yeah, people are starting believe to believe. Yannick. Um, but, uh, you know. Considering that uh, the most high leverage matches haven't been played, and that the most high leverage points in the most high, le- high leverage matches will be at the end, and he has uh, kind of a, a knack for uh, a little bit of uh, lapse of mental fortitude in those moments, uh, we we still have a long way to go. Indeed. 
All right. And so you've got some NBA for us uh, to close out. What's on your ticket? Yeah, NBA has been running good lately. I stole a cover in uh, Phoenix tonight with the uh, Suns against the Pacers and uh, three, three, uh, three circled for tomorrow that I'm into two that I uh, already bet one. And I'm going to wait for uh, I'm probably actually going to pass. Um, but uh, huge, huge rest advantages for Dallas hosting the Celtics. Uh, Dallas is two and a half point dogs there. I like the dog. Um, the I'm, I'm kind of shocked that this market is uh, open and is favoring Orlando against Cleveland. Cleveland, I think, is going to get a clean win against the Magic. A uh, huge advantage for them in this contest. And then the last was Sacramento uh, against the Kings. I'm assuming Sacramento against the, uh, the Hawks. I think the Kings will light the beam. Uh, eight and a half points is probably uh, squarely on my number, so I'm probably going to pass. But uh, definitely going to get some Dallas and some uh, and some Cavs in my life on Monday night. Yep. Lovely. Well, I'll give out one little NBA tidbit before we go as well. Uh, Victor Wembanyama um, this month in just over 24 minutes per game is averaging uh, 24 points, 10 rebounds, and almost four blocks per game. And he has a minutes limit and he's playing 24 minutes a game. That minutes limit is getting lifted two games from now. And then if he stays healthy, rookie of the year is over. Like Chet Hong is not going to beat him. If he, Wemby's going to, Wemby might average like 28, 14, and four and a half blocks. Like it's insane. Like he's, he's going to put up like borderline MVP numbers. Uh, I don't, <laughs> Chet Holmgren's still like minus 200 in the market, thereabouts. Like Wemby should be the clear favorite. Uh, and yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. And I think that that will correct itself um, in due course. I love it. Well, we thought they could get, uh, I thought they could get five wins in their seven game stretch. That's about done. And they only got three. Um, so they, uh, they didn't quite, uh, uh, meet their, uh, uh, their expectation, but the, uh, the nugget about the minutes lifting is humongous for that market. And I'm surprised you can still get Wemby as a dog. The other thing too, is that, I mean, the thing with Chet was like, is it, one is obviously the winning team factor, but then also that his advanced numbers were so much better than Wemby. Like that gap, like the EPM gap is less than one now. Wemby's on, what are they, like 7 and 30? And he's a plus 3.4 uh, EPM on like a fake team that hasn't been playing its real players <laughs> for 75% of the season to date. Like I just think that he is going to come home with such a wet sail. The only issue is that, just the way that team has been screwing around, just waiting for like, oh, Victor Wembanyama is being uh, rested for <laughs> six weeks for no reason whatsoever. That's to me. That's the concern because I I do not see how he loses with health. Um, Here we Let me play a quick. Going to be too gargantuan. Let me play a quick game with you. Uh, Darko is my go-to for all-in-one numbers. Wemby's uh, Darko right now is top what in the NBA? Uh, 20, 20, 25? He is currently number six of all players in Jericho right now. Uh, only behind Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, Tatum, and Kawhi. Yeah, that's that's insane. I mean, he's 32nd uh, in APM. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's everything is advertised. Uh, and when it's a close race, which I don't think Chet Holmgren's going to blow this one out by margin, and people who vote on this award have already come out and have talked about uh, kind of the tide shifting to Wemby. Um, if it is a close race, uh, the, the tie break goes to, to the phenom uh, and not the guy who's, you know, very efficient on a two seed. 
uh, it will go to the global phenom is my <laughs> suspicion anyway. Uh, and I have flip-flopped on this market about seven times, but the past two weeks have been pretty solid on Wemby. So there's been, I think I might have arrived at uh, the conclusion of my sentiments on Rookie of the Year, where I think that Wemby's just going to win so long as they don't screw around uh, anymore with his minutes and he stays healthy. All right, we are done. Don't forget to check out NBCSports.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks for those of you watching on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. If you're listening to us in podcast form, don't forget to rate and subscribe. Also a reminder to find all your favorite NBC Sports shows on Amazon Music. Just head to amazon.com slash NBC Sports. From Jay Croucher, Drew Dinsick, condolences to the Buffalo Bills. We'll see you tomorrow.